This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, we need to have a little chat. So you may be wondering why there's an episode out today when there isn't normally an episode out today. Well, I've got a little message for you, so listen through to that, and then I've got something very special at the end for you. Reddit Readings is going to be going through some changes. Don't worry, I'll explain everything, and your normal show is still going to be here exactly as it is now. But I just wanted to take a second to say thank you. On behalf of me and the team behind Reddit Readings, Thank you for listening to our show. It's because of you guys that we get up in the morning and make it. And it's you guys that make the show what it is. So thank you. Also, there's an amazing community around the show. If you want to go and jump on our Discord server and chat with the other guys, there's always something going on over there. So the changes. Don't panic. Nothing too major, and it's all positive and good stuff. Reddit Readings is slowly going to be being rebranded to the RR show. And this is to allow us the opportunity to expand because we have other ideas for the show that we want to implement. The podcast largely is going to remain exactly the same as it is, but we're going to start creating other content around it. I've mentioned on a few of the other episodes that we are now working on YouTube, and we've been reusing the stories from the podcast on YouTube, but what we're starting to do now is actually create new content for YouTube alongside the show. We have also been working on something else that's very special. We've been working on another show that's not based on Reddit stories, but will probably appeal to you guys all the same, called The Lantern Archives. Now, the idea behind the Lantern Archives is it's a true crime slash mystery channel that delves into all sorts of weird and wonderful stories and unexplained occurrences. We've just launched the first episode and it's on the Lake Bowden murders. We put a massive, massive amount of effort into the show, so if you could go check it out, it would mean a lot to us. It is primarily a video-oriented show, so if you want the full experience, head on over to our YouTube channel and check out the videos. However, I completely understand, sometimes you just want to listen to things in the car, doing the lawn, doing your laundry, or whatever, so we have also made it into a podcast. There will be links to find the YouTube and the Spotify, or whatever it is you prefer. But just to give you a teaser and let you know what it is, I'm going to put the first episode here as a bonus episode on the Reddit Readings channel. So, ladies and gentlemen, gives me a great pleasure to introduce to you the first episode of the Lantern Archives, the Lake Bowden murders, and why it's still unsolved 62 years later. In 1960, four teenagers were found brutally beaten on the shores of Finland's beautiful Lake Bodum. Three 
were pronounced dead on the scene. But one survived. Now, despite an array of fitting suspects, this case remains unsolved to this day, making it one of Finland's most infamous unsolved cases. Today, we're going to discuss some of the horrifying details and perhaps a few plausible theories. On June 4th, 1960, four teenagers set out on a couple's adventure in Finland's second largest city, Espoo, just a short 19 kilometers away from the largest, Helsinki. The bunch included Myla Ameli Bjorklund, her boyfriend Nils Wilhelm Gustafsson, and another couple, Anja Tuliki Maki and Seppu Antirio Boisman. Both girls were 15 years old and both boys were 18. Nils and Seppo worked together in a metal workshop while Mela and Anya knew each other from a vocational school. After an afternoon of fun motorcycling in the early summer, the couples made their way to where they'd spend the night, the shores of Lake Bodum. Approximately three kilometers in length and one kilometer wide, the lake is bordered by five small villages. The southeast region near Oita is where the group set their campsite. The four settled in and enjoyed the evening with fishing and swimming. According to Mailer's journal, Nils and Seppo did a bit of drinking while they all socialized. The two girls headed for bed around midnight, while the boys hung out on the shore fishing. Once they were finished, they crawled into the single tent alongside Mailer and Anya. So, our scene is set. Youngsters alone in the wild at night. What could possibly go wrong? The following morning on June 6th, two young boys on a bird-watching expedition were walking beside Lake Bodum when they noticed a campsite. Although they weren't close enough to make out any details, they could see a collapsed tent that appeared to be torn on the top. They also noted a blonde-haired man walking away from the campsite. Thinking very little of it, the boys continued on their expedition. Around 11am, a man and his son arrived at the lake hoping to enjoy a summer swim. However, their fun would end before it even began, after the man noticed the same collapsed tent. He walked over to investigate and by 11.15am, he and his son were fleeing the lake in terror. As they went to seek help, another man, jogging, stumbled upon the campsite. He too couldn't believe his eyes and ran to alert the police. What they saw would forever change Lake Bodum's paradise reputation. Laying on top of the collapsed tent were the battered bodies of Mela Bjorklund and Nils Gustafsson. Mela was nude from the waist down, mutilated with countless knife gashes. Both Seppo and Anya were visibly dead under the tent's blood-stained fabric and each victim possessed multiple wounds consistent with being bludgeoned. Nils lay unconscious beside the body of Mela, with similar head injuries as the others. Fluid leaked from his nose and his teeth were visible through his gashed cheek. But he miraculously survived. Well, quite the find. I think it's safe to say those walkers were not expecting to find that on their outing. When the police arrived on the scene, they quickly determined Mela, Seppo and Anya were deceased and Nils was sent to the nearby hospital. Upon investigating the crime scene, they determined the assailant had cut the ropes propping the tent up and blindly attacked from the outside due to the large slashes in the fabric and two of the victims found inside. The weapon was concluded to be both knife and an unidentified blunt force object. 
However, they would never be located. After searching the area, the police noticed strange items missing. Though Seppo and Nils's motorcycles were still there, both sets of keys were gone, along with other items such as clothing and wallets. Nils's shoes were also missing, but were later found about 500 meters from the campsite, along with parts of his clothing. Tracks of blood were also found matching Nils's shoe prints, indicating the killer was wearing his shoes. To further search the area, a host of officers, search dogs, and soldiers were called upon. However, authorities failed to set up police tape to cordon off the area, and they also called upon the public to help aid in the search for evidence. This meant that over the next few days, inexperienced townsfolk contaminated the crime scene and surrounding areas, making evaluations for footprints difficult. The likelihood of finding evidence didn't seem promising. When the three bodies were autopsied, officials were hopeful it would give them a lead to work on. However, they offered nothing more than the already apparent disturbing details. Both Seppo and Anya were bludgeoned and stabbed several times, and their cause of death was blunt force trauma. One note was of greater concern though. Myla, Nils' girlfriend, was also determined to have died from blunt force trauma, but she suffered many more stab wounds than the others, most of them being after she was already dead. And she was found nude from the waist down at the crime scene. Investigators were able to narrow down the time frame of the murders though. It likely happened somewhere between 4 and 6 a.m. due to the two boys birdwatching in the area around 6 a.m. However, nothing else came of this discovery. Hmm. How much evidence was lost due to the contamination from the public? I guess we'll never know. But there is one peculiarity about this. Very peculiar is... Why would a killer wear the victim's shoes? As for the killer, investigators interviewed over 4,000 people. They even managed to net several wanted criminals in the countryside of the neighboring city Helsinki. And although there still hasn't been a definitive suspect, there's a list of believable theories to discuss. Of course, the police wanted to speak with Nils. He was the sole survivor of the attack and he had to have witnessed something. However, after recovering from his fractured jaw and broken facial bones, Nils's brain fog failed him. He claimed to only remember seeing a man dressed in black with bright red eyes coming for them. Police felt they could extract more from him, so they decided to put him under hypnosis. While he was under, a forensic artist drew a composite sketch of Nils's description of the man he claimed to see. This sketch becomes an odd piece of evidence later in the case. As mentioned before, the two boys birdwatching claimed to see a blonde-haired man walking away from the campsite, the same man who was spotted by another witness who was fishing nearby. Although these two accounts have never led to any justice, they've been taken into consideration in a few instances later on. So who were the potential suspects? Here's a few that stand out. There's Penty Soinenen. In the mid-1960s, a prison inmate with a history of violence named Penty Soinman bragged to another inmate that he was responsible for the gruesome Lake Bowdoin murders. His violent past seemed fitting, as well as the fact that he lived near the lake at the time of the attack. 
but there's a significant argument against his story. He was 14 or 15 at the time. The odds of him overpowering four teenagers, two being 18 years old, is highly unlikely. However, the assailant did surprise the bunch as they slept. Due to the lack of evidence implicating him though, he was ruled out as the culprit. Then there's Karl Vadimar Gullström. When investigators began looking into the local kiosk owner Karl, the shoe fit flawlessly. Karl was an infamous villain in the area. He was a hot-headed alcoholic with a history of being aggressive towards his wife and children. He also had a bizarre hatred for campers. While this just makes him seem like a dull and grumpy old man, his grudge often went a little overboard. He went as far as throwing rocks at tourists and campers, as well as destroying property. Most terrifying, though, was when he'd put razor blades inside people's apples. His motive was certainly plausible, even as strange as it was. When townsfolk expressed their suspicions, the police searched his property. They discovered that after the murders, Carl had filled a well on his property with dirt. Investigators didn't find any of the victims' missing items, but his son-in-law later maintained that he was certain Carl buried them in the well. His wife was also questioned, but gave him an alibi by stating they were home together the night of the murders. But in an odd turn of events, Carl drowned himself in Lake Bodum and wrote a suicide note confessing to the murders. Furthermore, when his wife was on her deathbed, she revealed that she lied about Carl's alibi. She said he threatened to kill her if she told the police the truth that he was gone that night. Despite these damning discoveries, the police felt the evidence was too circumstantial. Hans Asman. The list of suspects only gets more intriguing. 36-year-old Hans Asman was also a local in the area and lived just a few miles from the scene. He was rumored to be a prison guard at Auschwitz, though this was never proven. However, after his death, his sister produced proof that he did once belong to the aerial warfare branch, the Luftwaffe, in World War II. During his last few years, though, he was a Soviet POW after being captured in 1943. It's believed during this time he was recruited as a KGB spy. Returning in 1960, Hans appeared at the Helsinki General Hospital the morning of the murders, acting incredibly suspicious. His clothes were reported to be bloodstained and he was covered in dirt. He also caused quite the commotion, pretending to be unconscious and yelling at staff. What's even more unnerving, though, is that he fit the description of the blonde-haired man and had an eerie resemblance to the police sketch. He also strangely chopped off his blonde hair shortly after, and though unclear, his alibi must have been solid because police ruled him out as a suspect after investigating. This case does seem to have a lot of dead ends, but as we're about to find out, hypnosis is far from the strangest occurrence in this case. A surprise arrest 44 years later it's safe to say investigators could have better handled this case. However, after 44 years, an arrest was made. In 2004, forensic science had come a long way from where it was in 1960. These advancements led to the arrest of Nils Gustafsson. 
Now in his 60s and married with two grown children, the lone survivor was now in custody. Forensic analysis was performed on Nils's shoes that were found 500 meters away from the campsite. It was discovered that on his shoes was the blood of the three other victims, but none of Nils's himself. This suggested that the perpetrator would likely have been wearing the shoes at the time of the murder. Investigators believed Nils could have been brought to murder by some kind of anger and inflicted his wounds on himself to make it appear as if he was a victim too. This story is corroborated by a woman who claimed to hear an argument between Nils and Seppo on the night of the murders. The theory is that Nils lashed out in jealousy and murdered his friends. This also could account for the fact that his girlfriend, Myla, was the most viciously attacked, with a number of her wounds being post-mortem. This kind of overkill tends to happen in crimes of sudden rage and passion. Nils was charged with the murder of his friends, however, he was acquitted of all charges in 2005 due to their only evidence being his bloody shoes. Although this case is all over the place, Nils's police sketch has remained a constant over the years. Another odd photo surfaced after the funeral of the victim's funeral. A man standing in the crowd had a striking resemblance to the police sketch and the description of the blonde-haired man. Not only this, but he also closely resembles Hans Asman. However, we must remember all should be treated as innocent until proven guilty, and each theory is just mere speculation. So, with 62 years having passed since that horrific night in 1960, no clear answers appear to be on the horizon. And to this day, the case has just become part of Finnish folklore and scary stories to tell around the campfire. <laughs> Apparently, it's even inspired a popular heavy metal band, the Children of Bodom. Most involved with the mysteries of the Lake Bodom murders have since passed away, meaning that the killer will never likely be brought to justice. Leaving the question of who savagely murdered the three teenagers unanswered. But it's safe to say this case will serve as a reminder for children to keep their wits about them when camping, lest they come face to face with the Bowden Boogeyman. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. 
In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookyScienceSisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky.